this is today's just kind of going to be an introduction, an overview of what we're going to be looking at. And really today we're just going to talk about why this matters. We're going to talk about uh, what biblical counseling is and isn't. We're going to talk about our role in, in biblical counseling. Uh, most of us in this room would not think of ourselves as counselors. You know, if I just came up to you this morning and said, hey, you, you've been doing a lot of biblical counseling, I'm sure most of you would say, what are you talking about? You know, that's, that's not something I, I do on a regular basis. I'm not a licensed biblical counselor. Uh, and so oftentimes we think about, when we think about biblical counseling, we think about uh, something that like a, a licensed Christian counselor or a psychiatrist or psychologist, we think maybe a pastor who's had some training in that. You know, oftentimes as Christians, when, when somebody comes to us with something that's heavy, we're like, okay, I'm going to take a few steps back. Let's get you some help from a professional or something like that. And there are times when that's needed, but uh, I want us to see that pretty much everyone in here is counseling maybe on a daily basis, if not on a daily basis, probably on a weekly basis. Uh, if you have children, you're counseling every day, okay? If you have a spouse, you're probably spending time counseling your spouse. If you have friends, uh, oftentimes friends are going to come to you for advice, right? And so you're going to have opportunities to do that. So I'm sure everybody in here has at least one friend uh, if you don't have a spouse or a kid. So I think that we, it's safe to say that we all spend time counseling people in our lives. So the purpose of this course this week is really not to make you like a licensed biblical counselor, although if there are people in this room who feel called to that, there's a huge need for that in this community. There's really uh, not many, and so Northeast Texas, this, this part of the world really does need biblical counselors, so if you're called to that, I'd say go for it. That'd be awesome. Um, but really what we want to do through this course is just kind of provide a framework uh, to, to give good, solid counsel when the time comes, which, which it is going to come, uh, and really just to point people in the right direction. And then ultimately, to be able to counsel yourself as well when you're going through trials in your life. So why do we need biblical counseling? Uh, you know, the truth is, and I think everybody in this room would acknowledge this, that we live in a fallen world. We live in a world where sin predominates. Sin is powerful. There's an enemy that is seeking to destroy us, to devour us, to destroy our witness, to destroy our lives and the lives of those around us. And, and that's just the truth of the situation. So we're going to face difficult situations in our lives. Now, if you tell me that that's not the case, that there's nobody that you know who's going through difficulty, who's facing difficult trials in their lives, I would tell you that your eyes are closed, that you're probably just looking inwardly at yourself, and you're really not looking at what, what sur is surrounding you with your friends, family, coworkers. So, in this fallen world, 
there are going to be situations that we face that can seem hopeless. They can seem hopeless in our eyes and in the eyes of others. And really, you know, we would say that a hopeless Christian should be an oxymoron because Christians are supposed to be filled with hope, right? Uh, We've given our life to Christ. We have this all-perfect, all-knowing, all-loving, merciful Savior who died on our behalf uh, that has rescued us from sin. So the question that I want to ask is, shouldn't that be enough to save us as Christians from all the pitfalls and perils of life in this difficult world? And I would say, I would propose to you that the answer to that question is both yes and no. Yes, it's true that the gospel saves, and it ultimately saves us from sin for eternity. Our sin is dealt with on the cross, and, and we will live, if we place our faith in Christ, we will live with him in a sinless state for eternity. That's the next life. Uh, what Christ did on the cross should be a game changer for us. He's our ultimate rescue. So ultimately, yes, the gospel saves and we have an eternal hope in Christ. But the answer is also no, because I believe everybody in this room could also testify to the fact that we're not done yet, that we've been rescued, sin still plagues our lives. There's a daily battle in this fallen world that we all face. And so that's a really an inescapable reality that we face in this fallen world. Sin corrupts every life in this room. Sin lies, it taunts, it hates, it ruins, it, it runs, it forgets, it mocks. The list can go on and on. And so sin ruins lives. And on top of that, we live in a broken world where we have broken bodies that get diseases. Uh, people that we love and care for suffer and die. And so we know that, that, that this world can be difficult. Uh, because of sin and because of brokenness. And that's going to look different in all of our lives, but it's a struggle that we all face in this room this morning. So, why does this matter? Why does biblical counseling matter? And I think the short answer is that sin corrupts everything. Because sin has ruined our world, we need help to know how to fight for faith in this fallen world. We really need to be able to go into the fire and snatch our brothers and sisters from sin that's ruining their lives. We need to be able to speak truth into, uh, into our brothers and sisters' lives when hope seems lost. We need to help our brothers and sisters remember their salvation, remember who they are in Christ, remember their future, that they're going to uh, be saved from this sin. So that's why biblical counseling matters. That's why it's important because we can't fight all of this sin on our own. We're, we're made to live in community. We're made to lift each other up. To make it through life, we need help from each other, from our brothers and sisters in Christ. And also, we need to be humble enough to ask others for help so that we don't have to fight these battles on our own. We need wise counsel because the world is always counseling us, right? So the world, through music, through all the media that we digest, through television, through the books we read, 
from the advice that we get from our friends. We get a lot of worldly advice, you know. So if we don't have the influence of God's Word, if we don't kind of have that plumb line in our life, if our brothers and sisters aren't speaking truth into our lives, it's easy to get swept away. It's really easy because the culture is moving so fast, you kind of think of it like a river, right? And there's this current that you're standing in, and, and everything that's coming against you is the world, right? All of its mentality, uh, its beliefs, its the worldly wisdom. And if we don't have God's Word to hold us up, to prop us up, and to point towards that's going to be going against the current, then we're going to be swept away. It's kind of like a wormhole that we'll never get out of. And so that's why biblical counseling is so important for our own sake and for the sake of others. So the next question we need to talk about, we need to define what biblical counseling is, okay? What is it? Uh, Most of you, I'd say everybody in this room, we're all... uh, these guys, maybe not yet, but, but soon, somebody has come to you and asked you for advice, and, and maybe you guys too. Uh, so what does it mean to give counsel to those who are struggling? What does that look like? I think it can look like a lot of different things. So anytime you give advice to someone or you advise them on a situation, anytime you give an opinion on a subject, Someone asks you your opinion on something that's going on in the world or something that's going on in their lives. That's biblical counseling. Uh, to provide guidance in someone's situation, uh, a recommendation regarding a decision or a course of action in their life. So maybe someone has a big decision to make. Maybe they are trying to decide to take a job or, or they're deciding if they want to marry this person or not. <laughs> That's biblical counseling, okay? Speaking wisdom into someone's life, and then speaking hope, comfort, and encouragement. When you find people who are downtrodden, when they've maybe lost a loved one, or or they're going through a really difficult situation, when you're just speaking encouragement and hope into their life, that's biblical counseling as well. So counseling is simply the act of giving counsel to someone. Now, The world would define it a little differently. Uh, Webster's Dictionary would say uh, that counseling is professional guidance of the individual using psychological methods. So this definition would claim that counseling is something that only someone with a professional degree can give. It also says that when you provide counseling, you're helping people by providing psychological ways of thinking, feeling, or behaving. And so, sadly, I think the case, a lot of us as Christians, we've thought about counseling in that way. We think that it's something that's done in an office, that it's done uh, by a professional, and that it's very psychological. And the only thing that would make it Christian other than secular is that that professional is a Christian. Okay, so oftentimes that's how we would think about uh, Christian or biblical counseling. So, just kind of in contrast to that, in contrast to what Webster's Dictionary would say, an alternative way to think about it, an alternative definition would be this, and I think this is a better definition. So, we would say that Christian counseling or biblical counseling is the opportunity to speak into someone's life using God's wisdom and not your own. 
So I'll say that again. It's the uh, biblical counseling is the opportunity to speak into someone's life using God's wisdom and not your own. Because that's our default, right? We always want to give advice and we kind of want to give our own opinion, often without uh, looking at what Scripture has to say about it. We all have a lot of them, right? Um, But counseling is an opportunity to give advice to someone who asks for it, all right? I would sometimes, I I think sometimes we can get in trouble when we give a lot of unsolicited advice. Uh, We have to be careful with that. But when people seek it out, and if you're living as an ambassador for Christ, people are going to seek you out. They're going to see something different about you. They're going to see that you're the one who doesn't gossip, who doesn't beat people down. And so they're going to seek you out when they're going through difficult times because you're safe to them. And so that's what we should strive to be. So what makes counseling different for Christians as opposed to like the secular world is that our advice is centered on God's wisdom, uh, not our own wisdom. We're not giving our own opinion. We're trying to help people view their situation from God's perspective, okay? So we want them to see their situation in light of what God says, in light of what Scripture says. We're pointing them to God's truth, not, not our opinion. That's very important. So if we're going to do that, we're going to have to know what God's Word says, right? So we're going to have to be students of Scripture if we're going to be able to provide this type of counseling. Because you don't know when somebody's going to come to you with a situation, right? I mean, it might be tomorrow. It might be tonight. You might get a phone call tonight. So you don't necessarily have all the time in the world to go study up. So we have to be studied up before, beforehand. I'm not saying we have to have everything memorized, but you have to know where to go. You have to have a good familiarity with Scripture. And we have to be always striving towards that more and more and more and more throughout our lives. So, you know, I like what one biblical counselor, he says this about it. He says, this is someone who does it for, for a living, okay? And he said, my job is not to change the person, but to introduce them to the one who can. And so that's what we're trying to do. It's, it's pretty simple. So uh, Paul says this about being filled with God's Word. He says in uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. So that's what we're striving for. So I talked earlier about being an ambassador, being an ambassador. I would, I would say that that's, you know, really our chief calling as Christians here on earth. And so it applies to all aspects of our Christian lives, definitely applies to the aspect of counseling others. So Paul, I just want us to look at some scripture. Paul defines kind of what being an ambassador is in 2 Corinthians. We're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and this is in your handout. Uh, chapter 5, verse 14 through chapter 6, verse 2. So, I'll just read this. 
For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, and the old is gone, and the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time for God's favor, and now is the day of salvation. So let's just kind of take a little deeper dive into this text. So when we look at this text, what is Paul telling us? What is he telling us the message is of reconciliation in verse 18? Anybody see that there in verse 18? Anybody want to shout it out? What's the message of reconciliation? So God's reconciling us to himself through Christ, through Christ, not counting men's sins against them. So who's this message of reconciliation been committed to in verse 19? Who's it for? Who's it committed to? Yeah, to us, right? What does Paul call us? What's the label he gives us as believers? Ambassadors, that's right. So, God's making his appeal through us as ambassadors. Uh, An appeal is, it's an argument, a plea. It's attempting to persuade someone. So what are we pressing on to others? What's this appeal that we're making? And I think that it's, it's the message of reconciliation. We're pleading with people to turn from their sin and turn either back to God. If they're a believer and they've fallen into sin, we're calling them to turn away from that sin and, and turn to God. Or if it's someone who's outside of Christ, we're calling them to turn to God through Christ for the first time. Why is it needed? Verse 15 tells us that He died for all that those should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died, and for them he was raised again. So the problem is, as sinful people, our default mode is selfishness. Our default mode is to live for ourselves. That's that's really the root of our sin nature. It's our greatest problem. It's sin, it's selfishness, it's self-idolatry. And the point of the cross 
is not just to save us from death so that we don't go to hell, which is a great thing, but it's to save us from our sinful, selfish, self-absorbed selves. And, and that's to save us for eternity, but also to save us in this life right now from living that way, from wasting our lives only living for ourselves. That would be the biggest tragedy if you came to the end of your life and you look back and you would say, everything was about me. Everything was about me. If that's all your kids and your, your co-workers and your loved ones said, is like, that guy was really good at being about himself. That would be the greatest tragedy I could think of for my life and the life of any believer. So that's what Christ came to do. He came to save us from that. For eternity, yes, but also so that we could live life here on this earth for others. That we could be His ambassador. What a privilege that is when we really think about it. The God of the universe who created the heavens and earth, all the stars, this massive galaxy that we live in, calls on us, really broken, messed up people, to be his hands and feet, to be his ambassadors. What a privilege. I mean, we, we, we really, when we think about that and let it sink in, it should blow us away. So, verse 21 gives us a, a beautiful picture of this reconciliation. God made him, Christ, who had no sin, to be sin for us, to die in our place so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the picture we have. So what's an ambassador? When we think about an ambassador, like let's say the ambassador of the United States to England. So that, that is someone who's living amongst the people in England who is not of them, right? He's an American citizen, not a British citizen. But he is living there, and he is representing the nation. Or you could say, maybe if this was uh, in the medieval times, they are representing the king, right? All the interest of the king. And that's a 24-7 job. That's not something you clock in and clock out of. They're the king's representative. And so as believers, as Christians, when we're ambassadors, we are the king's representative. We stand in the place of the king wherever we are, whatever we're doing. Our relationships are not primarily driven by our own happiness. That means we decide to go places and do things because they will help us faithfully represent the king. So the work of an ambassador is incarnational. Our actions, character, and words should embody the king who isn't present. So we're, we're Christ's representative here on earth. So Paul calls us to function as ambassadors. That means that our lives don't belong to us. They're not for our own fulfillment. The, the primary issue for our life is how can I best represent the king in this place with this particular person when we're, when we're counseling them or discipling them? It's not a part-time calling. It's a lifestyle. When an ambassador assumes his responsibilities, his life ceases to be his own. Everything he says and does matters because of the king he represents. So, to be an ambassador means we represent God's words, actions, and character.
to all those he's put in our life. So what's, calling, what's God calling you to do in your marriage? It's real simple. He's called you to be an ambassador. What's he calling you to do in, your, in the workplace, in your job? He's calling you to be an ambassador. What's he calling you to do as you parent your children? He's calling you to be an ambassador. What's he calling you to do as a church member of Christ Community Church? He's calling you to be an ambassador. It's it's simple when we think about it that way. So whenever we get stuck and we're wondering, what should I do in this situation? How should I behave? Just think about that. God is calling you to be an ambassador in all situations, every part of your life. So a good way to summarize this ambassadorial life uh, is to say, as an ambassador, I represent, number one, the message of the king. Okay, so I'm here to represent the message of the king. So an ambassador is always asking, what does my Lord want to communicate to this person in this situation? What truth should shape my response? What goals should motivate me? Number two, as an ambassador, we represent the methods of the king. So you want to ask yourself, how does the Lord bring change in me and others? How did he respond to people here on earth? Did he beat us down or did he show us mercy and grace? What responses are consistent with the goals and resources of the gospel? These are questions you can ask yourself when when someone seeks counsel from you. Number three, the character of the king. We represent the character of the king question you need to ask yourself. Why does the Lord do what he does? How can I faithfully faithfully represent the character that motivates his redemptive work? What motives in my own heart could hinder what the Lord wants me to do in this situation? So those, those are just questions you can ask yourself when you get stuck. So the thing we need to see is that biblical counseling is for everyday life as well. All right, we've talked about how we do this every day. We often think about it in like the really deep crisis situations, which that is a, definitely a part of it, but it's also for everyday life. And it's really a part of discipleship. So kind of when we think of it on the continuum of discipling and discipleship, we would kind of think about biblical counseling being on one end of that continuum And it's really dealing with the hardest, most difficult things that we're facing in our lives. So you could think about someone who's depressed, dealing with that depression, someone who's dealing with like suicidal type of thoughts, someone who's dealing with like an eating disorder, or someone who's dealing with like a deep marital conflict, someone who's struggling with addictions, maybe addiction to a substance or addiction to pornography. Those are all in the realm of of biblical counseling. So we have in your handout, just kind of as we finish everything up and wrap everything up, we have a little kind of role play uh, conversation, I guess, uh, in the back, just to kind of show you what what biblical counseling might practically look like. This is kind of a lighter thing, and I, I think we'll dig into deeper stuff as we go over the next three weeks. This is just kind of a lighter thing, but this is something, a good example as a parent, which a lot of us are in that stage, uh, 
But as a parent, this is something that you might face on an everyday basis. Really, I know in my household we face things like this at times. Uh, and, and sometimes we get it right, a lot of times we get it wrong. But uh, this isn't an, an example of my kiddos, uh, but this is similar to stuff that goes on in my house. So um, the example here is there's like a 10-year-old boy. He comes home with a sad look on his face from school. He retreats to his room, kind of throws his backpack down, doesn't say a word to you. So all of us, have, if, if we're parents, we've seen a situation like that. You know, your kid gets upset, isn't really going to express it, kind of acting out in, in one way or another. They want you to know they're upset, but they don't want to talk about it. So how do you deal with a situation like that? Uh, I think first you want to ask some questions, right? So we're dealing with the boy here. you got to probably dig a little harder to get to the root of things with the boy than you would just generally speaking, girls are going to be a little more open about things. But you, you'd probably want to start with a few simple questions. Uh, the first one would be, hey, what's wrong? It's pretty simple, right? Common sense stuff. Are you okay? Did something happen at school today? Or why are you sulking? So when we're asking these questions, we're, we're just... We're not really, we're, we're going to get to some surface level things, but the purpose is to start digging down deeper to kind of get to the heart. What's at the root of what's going on? Uh, so here in our little handout, we just kind of have a, a role play, and I'll just read this. And So the dad would say, hey, buddy, what's wrong? The son would say, nothing. You guys wouldn't be surprised by that response, right? If they said nothing or you pick them up from school, how's your day? Fine. You know, that's kind of the stock response that we get, right? So you're going to have to do a little more digging. Can't just walk out of the room. Good. Son's good. He said nothing's wrong. I'm going to go on with my day. So you're going to have to do some more digging. Dad would say, really? Nothing's wrong? Then why did you walk in the door sulking? Throw your backpack on the floor and stomp up to your bedroom like you wanted to make sure everyone in the house knew that you, you were home and that you were angry. The son would maybe say, I'm just annoyed at some guys at school. So here you're going to possibly kind of note some of the things. Maybe there's some blame shifting going on here. The dad would say, why? What happened? Again, more questions. We're kind of digging for the root of what's going on. The son would say, there's some boys who all just got new Air Jordans. So you kind of see some coveting going on there. And they were making fun of me because you, pointing the blame to Dad, got me Air Gordons from Walmart. Do those exist? I don't have, like, anybody who likes Air Jordans yet, but that would be bad, though. I kind of see the son's point. But anyway, so Dad's like, I'm sorry, son. That's never a fun experience. So how did that make you feel when they were making fun of you? Some would say, I don't know. I, I guess I really didn't care. Again, you know that's not true, so you're not going to just stop there. Dad would say, are you sure? Because it seems like we wouldn't be talking about it now if you didn't care. Did it make you sad? Some would say, yeah, I guess it made me angry too. Dad would say, why? What are you angry about? Son says, it was embarrassing because other kids were around. 
So here we're kind of seeing some fear of man, right? We're kind of getting to the heart of the issue. Dad would say, why does it matter what other people think? Some would say, it just does. It makes everything a lot easier when people like you. So here we're seeing some idolatry. You know, he wants his uh, friends to like him. Um, Maybe some self-idolatry here. And it would kind of go on and on and on. So you're going to have to dig to get to the root of the issue. And this isn't just when you're counseling your kids. This is when you're counseling anyone. You're going to have to ask questions, and you're going to have to get past the surface to get to the heart of the issue, because if you don't get to the heart of the issue, you really can't counsel. You don't know what to counsel on, right? You don't know the sin that's driving the, the problem. So it can be really hard to get people to be self-reflective, especially kids, a 10-year-old kid, but even a lot of adults. And so I think that's a skill that, that you need to work on and, and kind of think about uh, as you enter into these counseling relationships, being able to ask the questions to get to the, to the root of the issue. And hopefully we'll get into that over these next three weeks. Um, but kind of what we see here, you know, with the kid, he, he's, uh, he's jealous, he's, he's coveting these shoes, he's upset about it, he's kind of placing the blame on dad and, and the kids. Uh, there's fear of man there, and there's idolatry, you know. Uh, so those are the things you would want to work on. Those are the things you'd want to address and talk about. And of course, we're not giving them our own thoughts off the top of our head. We're pointing to Scripture, right? We're, we're talking about uh, what God's Word says. And so in this case, there would be several Scriptures you could point to. Uh, Psalm 56, not fearing man, trusting God. Exodus 20:17, not coveting your neighbor's stuff. Isaiah 44, the ridiculous nature of idolatry. Proverbs 15:3, 19, your heart is reflected in your countenance. 1 Samuel 16:7, the Lord cares about your heart, not outward appearances. So, we're not going to be able to rattle off all of that scripture right away. So we need to have a good basis and foundation to be able to speak biblical principles and then say, hey, let me get you some scripture. And you might have to go spend some time finding that scripture, but let me get you some scripture. Get scripture to that person as soon as you can and uh, follow up with it. So that's pretty much it. You know, just when we're for the introduction and we're going to be jumping in the next few weeks. Just the big thing that we need to remember uh, as we enter into these relationships and really just enter our everyday lives is that God calls us to be his ambassador. That's a huge privilege. It's something we should take seriously. And, and the other thing is, don't think that just because you're a Christian, you're not going to fall into these struggles. You're, you're not going to need counseling. Sometimes we have the tendency to believe, maybe if we grew up in a little more of a legalistic culture, that Christians don't have problems like this where they need counseling. That's wrong. That's a, that's a, that's a wrong belief. And uh, it's really important that if you are struggling with sin, if you are struggling with, with difficult thoughts, that you reach out to someone. And you, you are safe to do that in this church. 
there, there are a lot of people who are willing to jump in there with you and get dirty. And uh, there's a lot of people who would love to do that uh, with you. And so there are all of us, all of us at some point in our life need counsel, and we have to be strong enough to ask for it. Uh, and so that, I don't think that ever ends. Even as we grow and are sanctified, uh, we will always need each other. And uh, I think God wants it that way. That's why he, why, why he made us to live in community. So just, just really want you to, to remember that. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for uh, this church and, and the people that make it up. And I uh, thank you that, that you're a God of great mercy and grace, that you love us, that you want good for us, uh, that you uh, have made us worthy to be your ambassadors through Christ that it's only through him that we're able to do that. And uh, just help us to do that well. And uh, just to strive uh, to be there for people and to ask for help when we need it and, and to serve each other. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.